Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony on our text chain, the primary text chain in my life, with my brother Don on it. At one point, I, Don text, Tua's what I thought he'd be, which was just dismissive. And then Tua, like, goes for four touchdowns yeah. after that text. Yeah, yeah. I, I went crazy. I was going crazy on my brother the entire rest of the day. I said, really? You don't want Tua? How about now? Boom. How about now? Boom. How about now? This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. So as a scheduling note, we're going to do a third show of the week tomorrow on Thursday. And you ask, well, why are you doing that? Are you going away? No, I'm not going away. I'm doing it because I've decided to play in the club championship uh, at Columbia. I'm going to play. I've got a pretty early tea time, which is going to allow me to lose very quickly... And then do the PTI Yeah, do you have show. a stra- match play strategy? Yeah. Concede uh, the putts early, make them mark them late? I'm go- no, my <laughs> match play strategy is to get out by number 10. Avoid the bunkers. <laughs> when I lose 10 and 8 at number 10. Um, Send a card because out, Because here's, here's what's going to happen. I'm playing a guy who's like a 13 or a 14. And I'm playing from the white tees. The white tees are the club tees. The regular tees. I don't play from the whites anymore and haven't played for about four or five years from the whites. I play from the golds. I cannot hit any par four in two shots from the whites. None. None on the entire course. I cannot do it. So I am I am playing, and I, I'm a 20 from the whites. Yesterday, I basically, I played yesterday, I played 14 holes. I hit a drive on 15 into a trap, picked up the ball and went home to go to work. I was on pace for 106 yesterday from the golds. I've turned in, my age has caught up to me and my lack of talent, my loft, has caught up to me. And I can't play anymore. I'm playing a legitimate 13 and I'm a 20 or a 21 from the whites. The only thing I can hope to do is bogey a hole and tie. Tie the hole with a ball. You don't get strokes. You play even. I will be done... It's match play, right, Michael? Match play. It's yes. hole by hole. I will lose every single hole until number 10, and I will lose 10 and 8, and I'll thank this fellow very much for at least getting me out in the fresh air. <laughs> uh, I, I have no chance. I just have no chance. Okay, the best part about this, though, every hole is going to be a new journey for you, yeah. and you're forgetting the one thing that you have. You're on TV. Oh, what does that mean? Someone's going to be nervous playing yeah, you. Intimidation oh. factor. All of a sudden, they got that six-footer to have the hole in the first hole. This is your chance. Yeah, so make sure, whatever his name is, just get the name wrong. You know, just really throw him off his game. Did you say something about the journey? Did you use yeah. the word journey? Oh, yeah. Steve Young, in an appearance on the PTI show last week, said of Josh Allen running the ball, he said, son, you have to understand, at some point, your journey ends. Get down. Get down. Anyway, so that's what's going to happen to me. Um, I wanted to also talk about, you know, I have a lot of emails I'm going to read. Uh, let me help explain how the emails work. In fact, I don't even know how the emails work. My theory about the emails <clears throat> is that Nigel gets all the emails, calls the best of the emails, gives me those emails, and I read about half of them. Maybe less than half, because we run out of time. It's as simple as that. So every once in a while, when the Nats are losing, which is every single game the Nats play, 
when they're losing and I have five, 10 minutes, I look through old stacks of emails because I, I know I'm not going to get to them. Maybe I can pull one or two out and they'll be really good. And I'll talk about them. So this is from the cold list? Yeah. And I would just say sometimes what makes a good email changes by where you are in the week, where you are yeah. in the show. Right. Yeah. This one is from Amanda Senko, who signs it Mandy. Mandy, you came and you gave without taking it. <laughs> I sent you away. I grew up in Vestal, New York, home of Sunny, SUNY Binghamton. Yeah, yeah. I went to Syracuse for college and at some point ended up in Silver Spring, Maryland, where I met my husband, Matt a hardcore DC sports fan who grew up in Silver Spring and is a dedicated little. Matt has followed your career, references your work at the Washington Post often, never misses a podcast episode. Matt knew we would wed when he found out I was from this random town in upstate New York and at some point I had lived off of Floral Avenue. 167 Floral <laughs> Avenue, kids, third floor. And that I may have, that I have vacation in Rehoboth Beach since childhood. After several years of marriage, we now live in Albany, New York and Matt is now familiar with all that Binghamton offers as we visit my family offer. Today, as we are driving down 88 from Albany past Cooperstown, and as we are listening to the podcast, and you were talking about Appalachian, New York, which you did say incorrectly. We're actually headed to Appalachian, where my parents now live. It is pronounced Appalachian. We often laugh at all the references to places we share connections with. Maybe one day we will run into you at Nicola's Pizza's new location, Purple Parrot, the Refugee Safeway, Lupo's, or the Enjoy Golf Course. Very lovely. So that I read from me. Here's one from Spencer Carter. In grad school at Elmira College, one of my professors introduced me to the mob meeting in the town of Appalachian. She had some connection to the event. From what I remember, she was a high school bathing beauty hanging out with girlfriends at the pool where the meeting was held. As you know, we use strange pronunciations here in upstate New York. The town I live in is Campbell, commonly mispronounced like the soup. Here it is pronounced Camp Bell. Camp Bell, two words. So in reference to the mob meeting in the town of Apple Aiken is commonly pronounced like Apple Aiken. Apple Aiken. There we go. From Jason in Fargo, North Carolina. Jason Anschutz, who emails us all the time. This week I went on a very special trip to Pinehurst. It was an early celebration for a milestone birthday. Here is a hint. I will soon be a man. Beforehand, I followed your advice. I reached out to Alex Podlegar. He gave me some tips and was incredibly generous to spend his busy day replying to a loyal little's emails. Absolutely delighted when Alex found time on our last day at Pinehurst to meet with me and share some stories about our favorite bald orange man. The best of which was your round in the rain with no one else on the course. You and Alex finished in about two hours, one of the few times you didn't have an issue with the pace of play at Pinehurst. <laughs> I've attached a picture that my wife took of Alex and myself. She has no idea why I wanted a picture with the media relations guy at Pinehurst or why I suggested we say La Cheeserie when she asked us to smile for the camera. Thanks for the recommendation. The connective issue is strong. And yes, I can see Alex. Oh, they're probably, that's probably on, in the indoor part on the way to number two in the big clubhouse. From Jeff Rivet in Chicopee, Massachusetts. That's pronounced correctly. Right? I believe Chicopee. that is, yes. It's a camp there. Oh, Camp Chicopee. Yeah. Dear Dr. Tony, the first inaugural class of the Toy Hall of Fame was in 1998. Yes. The inductees were the teddy bear, erector set, Barbie, Lego, Frisbee, Crayola crayons, Etch-A-Sketch, Tinker Toy, Monopoly, Play-Doh, and Marbles. It may not be the same as Cobb, Johnson, Matthews, and Wagner, and Ruth, but it's still pretty good. That's a solid... You it's know, pretty good. A, it's a Again, that's class. in Rochester. Yes. And, and what I've been told, too, is that the, the public Why gets to vote. Why is it Rochester? I'm, not, I'm sure it was a great marketing move by the city planner. said, hey, let's just 
get these guys in here. But apparently the public votes on it. So where whereas we might think that what was that board game we were talking about? Catan. Public is stupid. Yeah. yeah. The <laughs> public shouldn't be voting on it. Right. Okay. The public doesn't vote on the Cooperstown Hall. The public votes on president and gets it wrong. <laughs> public shouldn't be doing it. From Kyle Pownall in Macon, Georgia. While riding the Macon, Georgia, the greatest nickname of all time for their minor league baseball team, the Macon Whoopies. Fantastic. <laughs> that is brilliant. While yes. riding on an elevator on vacation in the Bahamas, I asked the guy on there with me, where's the golf hat he's wearing? Where's that from? Willamette Valley Country Club. My reply, of course, was Willamette, damn it. He was thrilled that someone knew his hometown. I asked him if he knew Dave Spector. He did. He told me a story about it. he saw him a couple weeks ago. Then came the questions for me. How do I know Dave? I don't. You must like his wine. I've never had it. Are you from Oregon? Never been there. I'm from Georgia. Obviously confused, I asked him if he knew who the orange ball guy from ESPN's PTI show. He didn't. That's about the time he exited the elevator. This is from Lee Gordon from West Hartford, Connecticut and Boynton Beach, Florida. Okay. And this is about a lyric that I have gotten wrong in Little Deuce Coop. In Little Deuce Coop, I think that the lyric is, you know, it's got a competition clutch with four on the floor and purrs like a kitten when the lake pipes roar. And, at the, and if that ain't enough to make you fl- flip your lid, there's one more thing. And I thought it was, she's got the big slicks daddy. And I assume that slick was an enormous tire that you would use in the back wheels and you'd get traction from this enormous tire. Lee Gordon writes, the lyric in the Beach Boy song is definitely pink slips. She's got the pink slips, daddy. In the California car culture of the 50s and 60s, lots of people were pretty serious about drag racing. Sometimes two guys were so confident each had the fastest car, they would face off against each other, and the prize for the winner would be the loser's car. California automobile titles are printed on pink paper, so the practice became known as racing for the pink slips. Information for life. This is the best email I've gotten in Isn't a long that great? time. That's great. And he also writes, according to the Tillamook website, their ice cream is available at Safeway stores in your area, including the Refugee Safeway. Yes. And another DC supermarket news, the new Wegmans on Wisconsin Avenue almost certainly carries Speedy Marinade. It's a, sure disa- it does, it's a disaster of a Wegmans. Why? It's an upstate. Uh, just difficult to, it's a Rochester. So, uh, so you have to compare it to the other Wegmans that you can go to. I, I recommend the Tysons. At the, at the one that you're talking about in Tenleytown, you always have people who are doing shopping for three or four other customers. So you try and check uh, out, and one person Carol is checking out. Carol goes there all the time. Multiple baskets. Carol, and who hates shopping, loves says, that place. Where now, are you going? have you tried going the uh, Have you tried the five pack of their ultimate chocolate chip cookies? No, but Big Carol brings favorite. home the uh, scallops wrapped in the bacon all the time. That's her entire diet now: scallops wrapped in bacon. And can I point out one thing? Because we got a lot of emails on this the other day. With it's not Tillamook. We keep saying Tillamook. I know, we say it deliberately. <laughs> okay, no, I say it deliberately. Tillamook. I know, <laughs> okay. it's Tillamook. All right. No, I understand that. All right, so for all the but people that want to email, we, we're going to say it the way we want. Yes. From Reed Newell in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. I was thrilled to hear two, this is a while ago, I was thrilled to hear two of Gretchen Peters' songs on your Friday podcast. I've listened to Gretchen since her debut album was released in 1996. The Secret of Life has so many good songs, it's almost impossible to pick out a favorite. On a bus to St. Cloud, I was looking for you and the title track are beautiful. And if you listen to When You Are Old, have a box of Kleenex handy. Her songs have been covered by many artists, including Trisha Yearwood, Martina McBride, Jimmy LaFave, and Faith Hill, among others. She's truly an amazing talent. Thank you for bringing her music to our fellow littles. I am always gratified and rather amazed at the people who've heard of the people who sing the songs and are so happy to hear. From Mark in Austin, Texas. This is also a ways back, and it's about a discussion with Charlie Steiner. Remember that? Charlie was great. Charlie was fantastic. 
I managed Lance Armstrong for 20 years. And in September of 2018, we were in St. Louis for some business. Lance and I are having dinner at a restaurant suggested by Brett Hull. Dodgers were in town to start a four-game series with the Cards. On his way out of the restaurant, Charlie stopped by our table to say hello. Lance introduced me to Charlie, and I chatted him up about the Aloha Tower calendar. <laughs> of course. And once again, this show has reach. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. That's brilliant, yes. And one other. Oh, are we doing announcer recordings for podcasts now? In that case, could you? Would you please just say, this is the Loyal Littles podcast with Chuck and Roxy. We don't even care how much echo there is, and feel free to go off script. Worth a shot. Love you, Mr. Tony. Thank you for gifting us this wonderful community of Littles that you have created. One more time. This is the Loyal Littles podcast with Chuck and Roxy. Can we try it once and say Chip and Reggie? This is the Loyal Littles podcast with Chuck and Doxy. <laughs> and, and Keith Ammerman. Keith Ammerman. <laughs> we'll be back. Who will be back with? Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd is next, yes. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes to us from Terrence Mankin in Mount Julia, Tennessee. And he writes... He sent us music by A.G. Sully, and he said, I met Miss Sully, Allie, as I know her, at a local restaurant in Nashville where my wife and I had the privilege of having this lovely woman as our server. For our most recent wedding anniversary, celebrating 15 years of marriage, we made reservations at said restaurant, and coincidentally, Allie was our server once again. Just as before, we had a wonderful evening, thanks in part to Allie's professionalism, charm, and down-to-earth personality. Now, she's singing a song for Chuck Todd, which is called Lock My Door, and we'll get more on A.G. Sully later. But this is, it seems to me, the typical Nashville experience, that people go there and they want to be in the music business and they start waiting tables. There's a song about that by Don Henley <laughs> called Waiting Tables. And, and I just think that that's pretty common. And they have talent and beautiful voices. Maybe they get a break and maybe they don't. But they're there, drawn like moths to a flame. Right, Chuck? That, that's, that's the story in Nashville, is it not? That it, it, it used to be that every waiter in Los Angeles wanted to be a movie star. I assume that every waiter in Nashville wants to be a country music star. I, I absolutely assume that. Nashville is, by the way, Nashville is like, it's, it's probably the most interesting, fast-growing city uh, uh, in, in, in the U.S. right now. I mean, I just think it's, What's going to happen in Nashville in the next 10 to 15 years? I'm fascinated by it politically, culturally, for uh, various reasons. Because, yeah, it feels like it's just booming. And they got a stinking football team right now. <laughs> that you, you went down the drain on, and I would have gone down. week two. I mean, I would have gone down the drain. I would have made both picks you made. Minnesota plus two, Tennessee plus ten. 
It co- they cost you mightily because you finished two and Tony, five. Tony, we know nothing. Yeah. The Jets and the Giants are two and zero. Oh. We know nothing. It's just it's <laughs> let's so not, true. Let's not pretend we know a thing. It is so true. And once again, and I and I would have done the same thing once again. Kirk Cousins, when the spotlight is the brightest, folds up. He folds up, right, Chuck? You like that? You oh. like that? Yeah. You like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's two and ten in Monday night games. He had three picks in the red I'm so zone. So mad, by the way. I forgot about that stat. You know how oh. there's some stats that, like, you know, I had sort of let my my sort of Kirk Cousins <sighs> mockery uh, subside too much. I forgot about that stat, or I wouldn't have done it. Oh, wouldn't just, have done it. All right. Anyway. Let's, let's get to this week's games and some things. I hope these lines are correct. Nigel's never gets the lines right. But let's start. By the way, I, I also should say that the monkey has the best record. Mm-hmm. Monkey's doing well. And the monkey's a monkey <laughs> and has the best record. Is ahead of Jeff Maz, ahead of Chuck Tuck. I, you know, post-pandemic, the monkey's just finally, I, I get it, you know. <laughs> and the pandemic made it really hard for him the last two, two seasons. Here we go. Baltimore is at New England. New England had a big win on the road, as predicted by the people of Las Vegas. I scoffed at that last week. I thought Pittsburgh would win. New England won that. Baltimore folded up, spindled, mutilated, self-destructed, gave up four touchdown passes in the fourth quarter to Tua, lost at home to Miami, having been up 21. It's the first time in like 11 years that it happened. Teams had a combined record in the NFL, up 21 in the fourth of 711-0. and And Miami did this to Baltimore. Baltimore's on the road is a, is a favorite, but only a three-point favorite. I would have thought it would have been more had the situation been a little bit different over the weekend. Oh, if New England loses that game to Pittsburgh and Baltimore hangs on, this is probably five, five and a half. That's what I think, yeah. You know, uh, you know I think it's just because of, of what happened there. But I can't imagine New England can keep up with, with Baltimore. They might slow them down a little bit, but is New England going to score more than 24 points in many games this year? No. Right. So, and, and Baltimore feels like that, you know, they know how to score. You know, the offense works. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll keep rolling with the Ravens. I felt really good about that Ravens pick in the middle of the third quarter. Sure. Well, they're up and to I 21. Still, I still am a believer in this Ravens team. I still think they're going to, that, that Lamar's going to be. Uh, playing for his contract, all of those reasons. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm still on it, so give me the Ravens. If you think that your team had a tough schedule so far this year, Buffalo opens up on the road against the Super Bowl champions, the Rams. They go home, they play at least nominally a good Tennessee team, which we now know so, stinks. You mean last year's one seed, you mean? You mean yeah. last year's one seed? In the yeah, AFC but, playoffs. Yeah. Now yeah. they're at Miami. Miami is a surprising 2-0. and Buffalo really does look great. Miami has looked good and had that incredible fourth quarter. Buffalo, you give five and a half if you like Buffalo and you think that they will win by a touchdown in Miami. Man, am I having a hard time with this line. I really don't like being against Buffalo, but that's a lot of points. Um, it's early in the season. I'm going to go Miami in those points. Five and a half is a lot at home. It's going to be hot. You would think that should matter a little bit. Um, so I don't love this, but I'm gonna, I am gonna. I feel better being with the dog at home. 
I would have taken Buffalo in this one. Los Angeles All right. Rams. All right. Los Angeles Let's Rams. Remember are, that. I will. I understand. Los Angeles Rams are at Arizona. Arizona, another one of the great comebacks. Kyler Murray mesmerizing on the field in that particular game. Rams came back and won a game, but they gave up a lot of points late to Atlanta. I mean, you can have some suspicions about the Los Angeles Rams this year. You give four if you like them. It's also a lot of points, but I, I mean, you know, it does feel like Kyler Murray can't do that every week, can't do what he did. Um, God, he's a video game. He's he a lot of fun. Yeah. Man, it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, but I, I'll, I'll go with the Rams. Again, this is some – I feel a little better about taking the Rams than I do the Dolphins, that's for sure, but not by much. Okay. Um, and I think that a good coach like John McVay will have somebody – whose specific assignment is Kyler Murray and will not let him get away in the way that the other team did. Here's another game. This is a great game. Green Bay at Tampa Bay. Tom Brady. This is a huge game. Yeah. This is a huge game. Yeah. Tiebreaker for one seed. Yeah. I, I believe already. this line might have shifted from what I initially gave you. Uh, it's now Green Bay plus one and a half. Yeah, it's down a whole point. Yeah. Yes. Green Bay plus one and a half at Tampa Bay. Tom Brady has not looked great. He has not. They've, they've won their games. They're plus 26. Buffalo's plus 55, by the way. Tampa Bay second at plus 26. <clears throat> Brady has not looked great. Rodgers has not looked great either. But the Packers came back and, and easily defeated the team that he owns, um, the Chicago Bears. If you like Green Bay, you get one and a half at Tampa Bay. It's a tough game. You know, Aaron Rodgers is like, I don't know, one and – 10 in the state of Florida. Is that right? Yeah, he's got a terrible record in the state of Florida. Green Bay does terribly against the Dolphins, and they play two this year in Florida. They have both. They play uh, the Dolphins on Christmas Day, uh, and that that already feels like my son's already chucked that up as a loss. Okay. Like, they're going to lose. They're going to blow that game. So (laughs) The Packers really need this game. I, I, I They've only played two quarters of good football and uh, out of out of the eight that they played, but so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going hard here. I'm going I'm going Packers and, and that's obviously where the money has been moving because yes. I think there's some doubt about about Tampa, but I don't love it for the reason I said for whatever reason the Packers don't play well in the state of Florida. You think maybe it's the maybe it's simply the weather, right? Maybe they struggle in the humidity, but that that has me a little nervous. But Packers need this and this is a little bit of a fan pick, I'll admit that. Okay. San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo for the rest of the year. San Francisco is at Denver. Denver, I understand they're one and one. Denver's disappointing. Russell Wilson hasn't done jack to this point in two games. San Francisco has, you would think, an unnerving quarterback situation, but it isn't because they've had this guy for years and they've gone to two NFC Championship games and a Super Bowl with him. San Francisco is a road favorite giving one and a half. I have, like, so much confidence in the Niners now. Like, this feels like this is going to be the most uncomfortable, awkward season for Niners front office, but not for the team. Like, all of a sudden, the Niners seem like they're back to being who they are. They're comfortable being who they are when Garoppolo's there. He doesn't, you know, he's not a mistake maker. I, I, there, there's, some, there's a part of me that thinks that this is going to end up being the story of the, you know, the end of the season, he's, Garoppolo's holding up the Lombardi Trophy, and and everybody's everybody's having to look awkwardly, like, okay, now what do we do with him? And now what do we do with Trey Lance? Yeah. Uh, 
long story short, give me the Niners. Okay. Dallas Cowboys at the New York Giants. Who would have thought the Giants would be 2-0? and The answer is nobody would have thought the Giants would be 2-0. and Dallas is 1-1. and uh, Dallas won the other day against Cincinnati. Didn't look great. Cincinnati tied the game late. Dallas went down the field, you know, and they kicked the field goal. They held Cincinnati back on a third down and, and made the play, but they don't look great. The Giants, it's just hard for me to believe in the Giants. If the Giants were to win this game, maybe I would look around and say, okay, they're not nearly as terrible as I thought, but I don't think they're good. Dallas plus two and a half. Plus two and a half at the Giants. I'm with you, Tony. I don't know what to think about these two teams. And, and here's another question for you. Is Cincinnati good? Did, uh, not did yet. Dallas beat a good team? No. Yeah. yeah and I, I'm you know, starting to wonder about that. So this is a case where do you really believe the Giants are going to be 3-0? Right? Well, That's maybe against Cooper Rush. Maybe against Cooper Rush you believe it. Maybe. Yeah. And, it, and do you believe – that in a second week he's better with this team. I, I These I'm are hard go games. The, it's it is it is. I, I I'm going to go with the Cowboys simply because I just this is one of those the Giants aren't going to be three and zero. That just doesn't make sense. <laughs> right, right. Even though I think the matchup, I mean, I think I'd rather be the Giants' offense than the Cowboys' offense. I think. But you're going to take the two and a half. I'm going to take the two and a half. Okay. I'm I am. a lot I can't of road pick, teams. I, I am. Five I am. road teams and probably oh, like, going to be six. Like coming off a two and five week, I don't have much to lose here. <laughs> okay. One more game. The Philadelphia Eagles, who look better than most people thought against the Washington football team, which is you, you cannot – rely on the Washington football team for consistency. Carson Wentz may actually lead the league in yards, in passing yards. He may lead the league in passing yards, but he's going to throw picks that are going to destroy your brain. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's so obvious now that what you get with Carson Wentz is someone who, who doesn't get better necessarily in critical situations. Philly is on the road in Washington. Philly's giving a lot of points Philly's on the road. That's cute. Philly's <laughs> on the road. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Philadelphia has a home game in, in their in southern stadium. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Six and a half. Philly. <laughs> I, uh, I, it's a sh- look, this is one of those situationals that you should blindly actually bet on the commanders. Why? Monday night, win at home, and now they supposedly go on the road. But, that, but you have to believe that Philadelphia is actually playing a road game. Right. If this were a real road game, I'd be a little. A, a, Philadelphia a little more will have concerned. forty thousand seats. In that <laughs> yes. Easily. Yes. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. I was just talking with a friend of mine. He goes. He goes. You're gonna go this week? And I said, No. And he goes, Yeah. I don't know why I was asking. I mean, it was just sort of <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Um, give me the. I. You know, like I said, this is one of those where I think you should hold your nose and take the Commanders, but I can't bring myself to do it. So give me the Eagles. All right, that's good. All right. We hope you do well. You've taken six road well, teams. Well, I'm off to, you know, I, here, here's my built-in excuse this week. I've been, I've been in Wisconsin right. covering the, the, the campaign. I got to interview the German chancellor. 
today. So maybe he'll have some betting tips for me. I was just going to say, ask the German <laughs> chancellor if, yeah, if he, he would I take uh, Buffalo <laughs> against well, Miami. I'm, I'm going to see. And, and, and aren't, aren't we playing in Germany this year, right? So the NFL is going to go to Germany this year. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. I'll, I'll see what I, he thinks. I think whoever finishes last in the NFC East has to go play in Germany. I don't know. I mean, maybe he's... A... Those are good penalties. This is the way they ought to decide the London-German games. <laughs> you Absolutely. never know which people are sports fans. You That's never true. you never really know. Right. Tony, know. it's the one thing I use in every interview, and as I try to warm people up, you know, wherever I look, wherever they're from, wherever they went to school, it's always my immediate first thing. Oh, what do you think of that game this weekend? You know, you just do anything yeah. to light them up. And 90% of the time that works. I think it does. Well, I yeah. think I think certainly with politicians. Oh yeah. Politicians have to have broad-based knowledge and when they if they don't like sports, they have alienated too many people. They've got to be conversant. Well, they have to pretend. And usually if I can usually tell when they're pretending. Yeah. But even the ones that don't know have learned how to pretend. Yeah, well, but if somebody says, oh, yeah, I got down on the 49ers against Denver. I mean, really, Russell (laughs) Wilson, come on. He hasn't done anything. Well, by the way, there is an underground, like, you know, a bunch of uh, people here in Washington where we look around and we whisper, so who do you like this week? And it's just sort of this, (laughs) there's there's more people in, 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 in official Washington that gamble than you think. Doesn't it actually doesn't surprise me? Thank you, Chuck. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Chuck Todd, boys and girls. We just gave you Chuck Todd. That'll be more than enough. He's the host of Meet the Press, the longest-running, best political show in the business. But we give you a monkey. See the monkey, he's scritch, scritch, scratching, watching his iPad, smoking and laughing, hanging with Bud Grant, tap, tap, tapping on his purple attache. Nigel's going to the zoo, zoo, zoo. 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 Reginald's got the bite, bite, too. Sometimes he throws a poo, 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 poo. When he's had too much Johnny Walker blue. Right, what do you got? Whoopies, yes. Two and one both weeks, four and two overall. Yes. A simian leading <laughs> two humans. So I went down to the National Zoo, and lo and behold, he was not there. Reginald was not in his flat at the zoo. Uh, there was a note that said, here's the Zoom link. I zoomed. Of course, he was over in London for the funeral of the Queen. Okay. Did you know that he's a duke? I did not know the that. The Duke of Lusby. Apparently, he was awarded land here not in the United States. the Duke of Earl. <laughs> no, it's not the Duke not of the Earl. Duke, of Earl. Uh, Duke, Duke. <laughs> yes. Gene Chandler, right? Do I have yeah. that right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, but he took some time uh, amidst, you know, comforting the royals, amidst the, the great loss. Um, and the first match we gave him was uh, Buffalo giving five and a half at Miami. Uh, and he showed me a very nice photograph. This looked to be fairly recent of him sitting around a solo stove with Andre Reed, Phil's mom, and the Phil's Pagulas. And the Pagulas who own the team. Yes. And his daughter is a tennis player. Yeah, Jessica, quite a good player. Yeah. Um, so clearly he's got ties to Buffalo and he will take uh, I think I would have done that too. I mean, Chuck, that's the only road team Chuck didn't take. I yeah. think I would have taken it. Yeah, Buffalo looks, uh, looks fairly good this year. Um, so the next match we gave him was uh, Tampa Bay hosting Green oh, Bay and gi- giving one and a half. And it should be a nice photograph of him in the Paris to Dakar rally for the first time in a few years since the pandemic, actually. Uh, and he was driving with Mike Allstott, Rondé Barber, and Vinny Testaverde. So I nice... guess he's going Tampa. Going Tampa. Yes. <clears throat> yes. That is the one he, uh, he seems to be doing. And the last match. By the way, I do agree with Chuck Todd that Green Bay needs that game more than Tampa needs that yes. game. Yes. And Tampa just hasn't. Lo- I mean, I know they're undefeated, no, but they know. You know, and something's going on with Brady. Just yeah. doesn't feel like it's know. right. Um, so the last match we game, obviously, was uh, the Nanders hosting uh, Philadelphia. The Commies. The Commies. Get, getting six and a half at home. 
Now, normally he goes against just, Chuck Todd with all these picks. I just cannot pick them. I cannot pick Washington. Well, neither can he. He showed me a picture of him jogging up the Rocky Steps with a Philly cheesesteak sub. Clearly, that tells me he's got ties to the Eagles. I, I, it's just that the uncertainty with Washington, the obvious uncertainty. They have made comebacks in both games. Yes. Right? They beat Jacksonville and Wentz had, again, really good statistics. Wentz's statistics last week in Detroit were fine, except interceptions, inopportune interceptions, or didn't he get hit in the end zone for a safety? The game was over in the first five minutes. You know, I I just, again, I'll say this again, he could end up leading the league in yardage, (laughs) but I have no particular faith in him yet. Not yet. I have the op- the the op- opposite at the moment. Yeah. I have no faith in him yet. <laughs> Actively no faith in him yet. All right, we will take a break. Uh, Tim Kirchin. On the occasion of Aaron Judge hitting number 60 last night. Tim Kirchin, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again... This is A.G. Sully. This is sent to us by Terrence Mankin in Mount Julia, Tennessee. And he says, since many folks come to Nashville in hope of breaking into the music industry, I asked Allie towards the end of our meal if she did anything outside of serving. She stated that she was, in fact, a musician, and she went by the moniker A.J. Sully. We continued to chat for a little while about her music and some of the struggles she's been facing breaking into the Nashville music scene, um, you know, which is, is hard to do. Of course, my wife and I looked her up and listened to her amazing work as we drove back to our home. Being a former musician myself, I can appreciate the difficult task she's trying to accomplish. I know how supportive this podcast and the littles are of independent artists, and I hope this small act will make a big impact on A.J. Sully and her musical dreams. Check her out at ajsully, S-U-L-L-Y, dot club on all major music platforms. This is called Seasonal. Michael, if people want to send in their music or music from their dear friends, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. Tim Kirchin joins us now. And we are very lucky in talking to Tim on this particular day because last night in an, an incredible ninth inning where I think the Pirates scored a bunch of runs to lead it off and the Yankees came back first on an Aaron Judge homer number 60 and then on a grand slam by Giancarlo Stanton who has more home runs than any active player in a single season that's below 60 because he had 59. So let me just start with this. You're old, but you're not as old as I am. Which to you, as a, and you are a baseball historian. I'm a sort of baseball historian, but you are a baseball historian. Which is the bigger story? Getting to 62, where people have been before, or getting to 700? where people have been before? Well, fewer people have gotten to 700, but, well, they're both equal. The the 60, though, Tony, is a magical number, as you know. When you talk about the history, certainly, of the American League, and you have Babe Ruth, Roger Maris, and now Aaron Judge, that's, that's pretty stout company right there. So I think 60 
is even more impressive than 700, if that makes any sense, although 700 is ridiculous. Both of them are doing things that uh, are just astounding this season. Um, But 60 and the way 60 happened last night, uh, that was pretty impressive. I'm just going to add parenthetically that I so resent Wilbon's position that 60 and 61 and Maris and Ruth and Judge are New York stories. Because if I said to him that Michael Jordan was a Chicago story and nobody outside of Chicago cared, he'd go crazy. These are the numbers of our lives. What do you think? I'm going to change the question a little bit. What do you think has the bigger impact down the line? Not 60, 62 or 700? Well, 62 then takes on different meaning. Again, I'm not discounting what 60 means, but 62 is the most home runs ever hit in a season by a player in the history of the American League. And when you pass Babe Ruth on any sort of hitting list, then you're doing something remarkable. And the 61 season by Roger Maris will never be forgotten, no matter how many guys hit more than 61 home runs. So I think 62 is more important than 700. But again, I'm not discounting 700. These 60 numbers are all magical to me. I grew up during this time where you never even thought that anyone could do this. And then when I was three, Roger, four, Roger Maris hit 61 home runs. It was, it was incredible. 62 changes everything. And, Tony, it is not a New York story. It is a nationwide story. It is. it is a baseball story. And if you're not watching 62, it doesn't matter where you are. 62 is an amazing number. Will Bond's position is absurd. It's just antagonistic for no reason at all. I said this the other day on television, that the two numbers, baseball's two most important numbers to me, were 60 and 714. And then when 714 turned into 755, and then when 60 turned into 61, I would still say, Tim, that for me, the single season number is the biggest number. And that if Judge, and I know what you said about the American League, but I'm going to make this much more focused. If Judge gets to 62, he's the only clean 62. And that matters to me more than any. Whatever Judge ends up with, to me, will be the number. Feel free to disagree. Yeah, I disagree, Tony. Look, I I understand what you're saying. And I think 95% of the people in the world agree with you. But... Barry Bonds hit 73 home runs in one season. Yep. He is the greatest hitter I've ever seen. After Babe Ruth and Ted Williams, he is the greatest hitter of all time. I'm not sure statistically there is a way around that. It, but if we take away 73 home runs and everything that Barry Bonds did, not to mention Sosa and McGuire, now the record book is completely changed. And if you're gonna if you're gonna acknowledge that 62 is the most, then you're acknowledging that the record book has no meaning whatsoever. This is how I look at all of this. It's a line in a record book, and yes, it's important. However, everyone, all of our best baseball fans, should interpret this whatever way they want. And I'm with you, whatever way you want to go Mm. on this. But we should leave it up to our best baseball fans to decide for themselves What's the all-time home run record? If you're asking me, 73 is the record by Barry Bonds. 
Because if you take that away, how many other records do we have to take out of the record book? How many others do we have to put an asterisk next to? I think if you start doing that, uh, it's a very dangerous proposition. I appreciate everything that you're saying. We, we disagree on this particular point. But what we don't disagree upon is this. You cannot just look at Barry Bonds and say he's a cheat and dismiss what he did. Barry Bonds, for about a four-year period, only saw one pitch in at bat. If he saw one pitch in at bat that he could hit, right, Tim? And he banged it out of sight. I mean, it, it, Barry Bonds is without any question one of the three greatest home, ridder, home run hitters of all time. And I concede that. I have trouble with the 73. But I concede that Barry Bonds is that guy, right? Yes. Again, after Babe Ruth and Ted Williams, he's the greatest hitter. Not power hitter. He's the greatest hitter. I've ever seen. Go back and look, Tony, at 2001, 2002 seasons, and then 2004. Tony, he had 120 intentional walks yeah. in one him. season. The American League leader that season in walks didn't have 120 total, and he had 120 intentional walks. I mean, <laughs> Barry Bond's seasons were ridiculous, and he had five, six of them. And so we can't discount that. But if you do, and you take all those numbers away, um, then I'm just asking, what do we do next? I mean, uh, how many home runs did he really hit? Clean, dirty, whatever you want to call it. The, I don't know the answer to that. In the absence of real facts, I just have to go with the final numbers. That's the only way to look at it. Let's go to another issue. Let's go to judge in this sense. If he wins the triple crown, He's on a year when he's going to set a record for home runs. If he wins the triple crown, batting average as well, and I think he's right there right now. Can you, because I will, can you make the case it's the greatest season ever? No, we, <sighs> we can't go there. It's, it will be the greatest season, certainly in the last 10 years. It's one of the, great, one of the greatest seasons I've ever seen. But the Barry Bond seasons are over there. They're a separate category. Just, again, go back and look at those seasons. Go look at Ted Williams' career. He had three of these seasons that Aaron Judge is having, at least three. And two more would have happened for sure if he hadn't missed three prime years of his career In the war. due to military service. Babe Ruth had eight, ten seasons like this. That's how great Babe Ruth was. Now, that brings up the other argument, Tony. Well, did you know Babe Ruth didn't play against African American players. Ted Williams didn't see as many African American players or Latino players or anything else. But that that's a whole different discussion. I I can tell you this is one of the greatest seasons I've ever seen, but to discount what Ruth did and what Williams did is a big mistake. I think in 1927, when Ruth led in home runs and RBI, I think he batted something like 360 or 370 and didn't win. Didn't win the Triple Crown because somebody else, like Harry Heileman or something, batted 391, something like that. They batted 356. That's it's amazing. All right, I'm going to shift gears completely. How about my boy Max Scherzer, Warrior God, and Justin Verlander? <laughs> How about these two guys going to the Hall of Fame Pitching together at one point in Detroit. How about the way they returned from the DL, Tim? Well, the Verlander story is unprecedented. 
nobody has ever come back from a major injury like that at his age and done what he's done. Unprecedented. And I think he's going to win another Cy Young this year because of that. He is climbing the strikeout ladder. Um, He's a remarkable pitcher, and Scherzer is equally good. Only Max Scherzer comes off another injured list and pitches (laughs) six perfect innings like he did, and then they took him out. On the night he won his 200th game. So they're both first ballot Hall of Famers. We're watching them right in front of our eyes, and they're both in their late 30s, and they're both dominant still. These, this just can't happen to normal people. But when you're wildly competitive, like both of these guys are, that's how these seasons are put together. They come out of the DL. They pitch a total of 11 innings in their debut and allow a total of no hits. No hits! Yeah. And, and Tony, <laughs> listen, I just need to make this point. It's beyond how great they are. They understand how to pitch as well as almost anyone since Greg Maddox retired. And they recognize how our hitters approach at bats these days. All or nothing approach, launch angle, let's get it up in the air. And they are feasting on the aggressiveness and the approach of our hitters today. And they recognize, look what this guy's trying to do with this at bat. I can beat that every time if I throw it in the right place. And then they throw it in the right place. So they don't just have spectacular, violent stuff. They have an understanding of the art of pitching like very few pitchers I've ever seen. That's great to hear. And they're also good guests on the PTI show. Both very, very good. Um, I'll get you out of here on this. What should happen with Tony La Russa? How, how should this be resolved in the best way possible? Or is there no best way possible? Well, there's no best way possible for this, Tony. He is a Hall of Fame manager one of the best of all time. And I think he deserves to go out, however he goes out this year, next year, whatever, on his terms. My guess is they're going to look at this and say, um, I'm not sure we're going to make the playoffs anyway, so we're going to leave this up to Tony and the doctors. And I think Tony and the doctors will determine when and if he comes back. Um, and I think that's the only way to go. I mean, to replace him right now when they're way behind the Guardians as of now, I, I don't think makes a whole lot of sense. It's a very complicated and sensitive matter, and I think I think he should, should go out on his own terms, but those terms should be decided by him and by the doctors, and then you go from there. Thank you, Tim, as always. We'll talk soon. Appreciate it. Okay, Tony, thank you. Tim Kirkchin, boys and girls. Uh, We will come back with email and jingle. I am Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show.
Thank you to the Cane Bay High School Choir. That is just lovely. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagels? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. I'm holding up a book. What is this book that I'm holding up? <laughs> Buyer on Speed. That book goes into a prominent place. Yes. Buyer on Speed. That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say this device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. It goes backwards and forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. It lets us travel the way a child travels, around and around and back home again, to a place where we know we are loved. That brings a tear to my eye. That is John Hamm as Don Draper talking about the Kodak carousel. It's the single greatest piece of writing I have ever heard on television. Ever. It's just absolutely remarkable. And now he's doing commercials with Flo. Only commercials. (laughs) With Flo. No, he's in in the remake of Fletch where he plays. Doing commercials with Binghamton's own Flo. Yeah. Who calls him Tom Ham? And it's very, it's actually <laughs> it's, a good commercial. It's very funny, yeah. Thanks to our guest today, Chuck Todd, Tim Kirkchen. Thanks to today's sponsor, Solo Stove. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. And now that the mornings are a little bit cooler, perfect time to bust out that uh, t shirt hoodie. Go check out the Finney from Johnny O, TK Week One, still in full swing. I'm wearing my shacket every day oh, to yeah. walk the dog. I wear the shacket. Chasing down those pink slips. Here we go. At the beginning of the pandemic, I bought a bingo game for me and sent one to my daughter in L.A. I live with my other daughter and two grandchildren. We made it a point to have family bingo games, and the kids loved it. Regards, DG. Fantastic. (laughs) From Donnie Singer in Columbia, Maryland, if you read this in time, you do not have to travel all the way to Oregon to get Tillamook ice cream direct from the source. The Tillamook ice cream truck has been visiting the Baltimore, D.C. area since mid-July. It will be at Savage Mill in Howard County on Wednesday, August 24th from 12 to 5 p.m. Then again, who am I kidding? Howard County, Maryland may as well be Oregon to you. And it's weeks ago, and I missed it. From Steve, Stephen Petrie, or Petrie, not Rob Petrie, Stephen Petrie, assistant teaching professor at the University of Denver. A few years ago, my family descended upon Las Vegas for my mom's 80th birthday celebration. We had many classic Vegas events planned, good meals, shows, etc. Also, my mom wanted to play bingo. As several in our group didn't care for bingo, we slated this in during one of the afternoons. Not all casinos offer bingo, just a few off the strip. My aunt, mom's younger sister, if you can call 75 young, and believe me, I can at this point, <laughs> reluctantly joined the bingo group. In Vegas, most bingo sessions last two hours. Nevertheless, my aunt complained the entire time. However, her complaints ceased immediately upon learning she had won the last game's grand prize of $11,000. Hello. The people around us who appeared to be regulars were noticeably upset, having listened to two hours of constant complaining. <laughs> From Bob Boxwell in Lusby, Maryland, Catan is a series of board games that started with Settlers of Catan. Very popular. Been around the country for 20 plus years. Sorry the hoop and stick didn't make it again. Is that how it's pronounced? Catan? I'm guessing. I'm, I'm not familiar with that particular board no. game. From no. James Taylor. Not that not, James not Taylor. Not JT. I can't begin to tell you how delighted my friends and I are about Racco being nominated to the Toy Hall of Fame. Racco is a classic game that was released in 1956 by Milton Bradley. My great-grandmother used to play with us, and I introduced it to my friends one night, and I'm no longer the only person who owns Racco. It's a simplistic numerical card game, but more complex than sand. <laughs> I, don't, I can't believe you've never heard of it. Seems like a game you'd enjoy. Please keep us updated on who gets in, as I don't know who else to turn to for Toy Hall of Fame news. Racco, never heard of it. Mm. 
from Joe Pearson in Indianapolis. Just to add to your Toy Hall of Fame outrage, please note that Jax got inducted in 2000, a full nine years before Ball. What are you supposed to play it with? Rock? Also, is it worth mentioning that the Hall has already approved Stick in 2008? I'm sure Chessie would approve Blanket 2011 and Cardboard Box yes. 2005. But Pound Puppies? Are you kidding me? A canine knockoff of the much more significant and yet still uninducted Beanie Babies? What are you even doing out here, man? It's a great email. Redwell, too. From Jennings Usner. Tony's complete rejection of Sands' inclusion in the Toy Hall of Fame has to be grounded in a similarly complete inability to get out of a bunker, right? That's the other thing. I will lose every hole when I go in the sand. Yeah. I'll just pick up. I'll just say, it's your hole. It's your hole. Um, Virgil, not that Virgil, in North Lake, Texas. On Friday's show, you meant you said the pinata exists to be destroyed. I don't know. I think that sends a bad message to kids. Became, same can be said of the back 12. <laughs> That's sort of funny. From Tim Herman in Bulverde, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Texas. Your segment on September 16th show regarding Nerf toys being considered for the Toy Hall of Fame reminded me of an interesting fact. The longtime Minnesota Vikings place kicker, Fred Cox, was not only a chiropractor in the offseason, but also an inventor. In 1972, he invented the Nerf football. Nearly 50 years after its invention, he was still receiving annual royalty checks in excess of $200,000. Pretty good. That's pretty good, yes. Pretty good. From Joe Klein. Okay. In Panama Heights, Parma Heights, Ohio. Not Panama Heights, Parma Heights. Dear Mr. Tony, being of a certain age, you may be familiar with a toy called Wooly Willy. Debuted in 1955, Wooly Willy, no, I know Wooly Bully, not Wooly Willy, was a simple piece of cardboard with a blank cartoonish face, some magnetic dust, oh, and a pen to draw different hairstyles. I hope this elicits a response of, I know that toy, yes. Well, Wooly Willy holds a special place in my heart. My maternal grandfather, Leonard Mikowski, was an artist who did some freelance commercial work. And the packaging of the original Wooly Willy is his work. I've always been tickled when someone tells me that their parents or grandparents had a Wooly Willy in their home. My siblings and I all have a frame with the front and the back of the toy, the latter of which includes my grandpa's name hidden in the artwork, hanging in our home. Since I never met my grandpa, he died six months before I was born. This and his other artwork are things that I have always cherished. I was curious if you had a Wooly Willy as a kid. No, but I, my friends did. And if you share my admittedly very biased opinion that he's worthy of spot in the Toy Hall of Fame, I plan on nominating him one of these days. And if I can add Tony Kornheiser knows this toy <laughs> to my list of Wooly Willy accolades, it would look great right under the mention and shown briefly on an episode of The Office. Either way, I'd like to nominate my grandfather, Leonard Mikowski, as official freelance commercial artist emeritus of the Tony Kornheiser Show. Thanks for the continued laughs and entertainment and, entertainment and for letting me share a fun piece of family history. Isn't that nice? Yes, it's lovely. John um, Agilata, I hope it's pronounced. I woke this morning with a feeling of Christmas in my heart. No, it's not that I don't know how to read a calendar. It's that the Toy Hall of Fame nominees were announced. What would old Scrooge McCornheiser have to say about this year's nominees? Light bright? Are you kidding me? It's just a light bulb and some black paper with holes in it. Phase 10? What the hell is phase 10? Nine more phases than it needs to be, that's what. I can hardly wait until the latest Mr. Tony podcast appears whenever I get my podcast. I left out some milk and cookies for you, but then threw them away and replaced them with Johnny Walker Blue and large curd cottage cheese. I hope the latter didn't go bad overnight. You're old and have a sensitive stomach. John Agilata in St. Louis, Missouri, but temporarily, temporarily in Springfield, Missouri, on a stupid work trip. Should I do one more? Yeah, sure. Because it's Elliot Olshansky. Oh, we love Elliot. We yes. love Elliot in Suffolk County. Dear Mr. Tony, I have a new fame. With apologies to Jeff Foxworthy, 
I'd like to call it, you might be a little if. It's a new game. Why did he write fame? He should have said a new game. Typo. For example, if you see a camel at a petting zoo and one of the first things you think of is Tory Clark's lawn, you might be a little. Or if your local fair has a 4-H exhibit that includes a tree frog in a tank and you closely examine the tank looking for Chris Saliza, you might be a little. <laughs> or if you take your kids to a magic show and your review starts with, well, he's no great zucchini, you might be a little. Best regards from Suffolk County where we returned from Old Bethpage Village in Long Island Fair before we could see the magic show but the thought was still there and he attaches a picture of himself with a camel with a camel <laughs> if you're out on your bike time everyone as always do wear white tony what are you doing said that you was good now every time i'm home you're staring at the ground and I haven't heard a single sound come out your mouth, no No, I ain't never come around Cause if you're gonna act like this, why would we with this out, no All I ever asked was you to hear me out, yeah. Heard that you been running, running
evening. But after about 2, 3 o'clock this afternoon, the clouds do take over, and there will be the risk for a shower, even an embedded thunderstorm, looking on through. Three days straight, you showed your face. I've been sleeping through the night. Though I'm close, I fit a little tired of sweaters, guys touching me right. I've been hiding out too much. Truly, when I look up, it's sad, but all the things it do for me when it's on you, you ain't gonna hear shit from me. Cause I get so high, I feel weightless, invincible, don't come at me. I ain't even stressed about money. When the sun shines, Start to give 